Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to share share the Word of God with you all this morning. Basically, I'm going to be continuing where Dad kind of left off for his, his message last week. Dad discussed faith tests and trials. And it's been on Dad's heart and it's also been on my heart um, because I don't know about you, but there's a great deal of, of, of believers out there that are going through a hard time and their faith is being tested. The whole world's really is being tested right now. And us believers live in this world and we alongside, we get tested too. So within the local church as well, I've been questioning for some time and meditating. Why do we as believers experience such prolonged periods of adversity in our lives? Why, why is the walk of faith so hard to maintain? And why in that case, why do so many fall away? Um, I know for sure our journey doesn't start like that. I don't know about you, but most of the born again, most of us, when we're born again, we, we sprint out the, out the gates like a sprinter. We, we find this new, this newfound joy celebration and our hearts and our spirits are reawakened to, to God and his love presence. We have a tangible experience in our hearts. We, we feel the love of God burning and bursting out from within us and it feels like we can't do any wrong. And even if we do, we know the Lord is, for, is, is there to forgive us and to pick us up. And, and above and beyond that is that when we run into obstacles as young believers, in, especially in the early phases of our relationship with him, we find that those obstacles are quickly removed from our, by our Heavenly Father. He, he, he stoops down and he removes those obstacles because we plea with him and we, we're desperate for action. And we almost expect him that he does. You see, we, it's like we're released from our slavery, we're released from our Egypt moments, and we excitingly begin our journey, and we, we freely experience the Father's love, and we, we sprint towards that promised land that we are excited to be a part of. But guess what? Before long, just like the Israelites before us, we find ourselves in the, in the wilderness, and we find our pace slowed, and we soon realize that this this faith that we have is not a race of, of, of pace. It's a race of endurance. We begin our spiritual journey as, as newborn babes. And our Heavenly Father, He gives us milk to drink. And He protects us. And He, like I said, He quickly re rescues us from any hardship. But as we mature and as we grow, the Lord's fathering approach changes too. See, this is in, in the Lord dealing with me and Understanding this message, being a father myself, the Lord spoke to me, being a son and a father, the Lord spoke to me in that, in that, in that quality of relationship. How a father and son relationship, although the love is characterized as deep from the moment that you cradle your child in that, in their arms to when he grows up, the love is still as strong, if not stronger. 
but the way the father relates and the way the son and the father relate to each other changes and grows and matures. You see, for example, like I said, as a newborn babe, we we find the father rescuing us quickly and we find wholehearted trust in him to do so. But soon his, his rescuing and his delivering hand changes to an instructing and appointing hand, gesturing us in the right way we should live. And just like the Israelites, this is what the Heavenly Father did for them. He rescued them out of Egypt. He, he moved with great miracles and wonders continuously. Out of Egypt they ran. But then what is the first thing he does? He, he gives them instruction. He gives them the Torah law. And I'm going to read a quote from the, the, the ancient Hebrew research center. This is what they define Torah as. The Hebraic definition of Torah is a set of instructions from a father to his children. The purpose of parents' Torah is to teach and to bring the children to maturity. Now, that's exactly what the father does for us. He, he gives us his, his Torah law, his heart law, to, to bring us to maturity. He, he doesn't just give a set of rules and regulations, but he points the way. The, in the Hebrew word, the Torah is almost like a, the archer pointing his arrow. He's directing his arrow. He's pointing the way. And that's what the father does. He points the direction we as children should grow and mature. Now, what normally follows a period of, of teaching and instruction and learning and education? What do we what do we define the wilderness as? It's known as a phase of testing. Like dad often says, when we get taught a set of principles, when the Lord instructs us, the very next thing we go into is a period of tests, just like the world out there. The world, when you go into a schooling or education system, they teach you whatever ways and manners they teach you from a textbook, from a lecturer, from an interactive class, from a webinar like this. Lessons are given, education and transfer of knowledge is done. But how do we gauge whether we truly grasp not just the knowledge, but an understanding? The education, the successful education system today, they're not interested if you can repeat the facts, if you can just quote the Bible. They're more interested if you have a true revelation, an understanding of what that, what is being taught is in your heart. And that can only be done in a season and a phase of testing when we gauge if we truly understand and grasp what the word of God says and means to us. Let me give you some scriptures that I was reminded of in, pre in preparing this message. The first one was Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we're going to read verse 2 and 3. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 and 3. I would like you to, to turn there in your own Bibles. I'm going to read from the ESV translation, the English, the English Standard Version. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 to 3. It says this. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let your hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Before we dive deeper into that scripture, 
That's Old Testament. Let me give you a New Testament example of testing and wilderness. And we should all remember where the Israelites failed, our Heavenly Father came in our place and he succeeded. Matthew 4 verse 1. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. Afterward, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the lonely wilderness in order to reveal his strength against the accuser by going through the ordeal of testing. So from those above two passages of scripture, we can clearly see the explicit purpose of a wilderness experience for the Israelites, for Jesus and for us today. The wilderness experience is for three reasons. To humble us, to test us and to reveal what our heart is truly, what state our heart is truly in. You see, if we, if we say the, the wilderness humbles us, we can read that both the Israelites and the Jesus were physically hungry. Jesus, we know, he says he fasted for 40 days in the shortest sentences and he was hungry. We know that Jesus was humbled. As soon as he, re- as soon as he was baptized in water and he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, like I said, he, 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 he got the presence of the Lord within him. The next phase that he goes into is the phase of testing. And the first part of that is to humble himself. The next part was to test. We read in Matthew 4 verse 1, it says, in order to reveal his strength against the accuser. And it says the ordeal of testing. It's black and white. Jesus himself was tested. Like he says, in every way that we are tempted and tested, so was was Jesus Christ. And the most important part for me is it's not it's not good enough just to be humbled and it's not good enough just to be tested but we've got to do something with that humbling and that testing and we've got to really we have to see what our state of our hearts are in we have to open our eyes and acknowledge where we are in that process and that's a revelation it's a revealing of our heart state it's almost like you look into a mirror and you see the heart state of your of yourself you see The wilderness for Jesus and the Israelites and for us today is a testing ground. It is where we are humbled and where we examine our hearts. You see, the Lord already knows the state of our hearts. He doesn't need to examine it. He presents and he led. And it's it's important to understand that the Lord led the Israelites into the wilderness. And Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And it's for our benefit that we, we get a revelation of the state of our hearts. And that for me is the key. When I was preparing this, I was reminded of a quote that I encountered in, in, in school. Albert Einstein, they say, is, is attributed this quote where it says, adversity introduces a man to himself. Adversity introduces a man to himself. Lisa Bevere says it differently. Who you are in the fire is who you are. Who you are in the fire is who you are. See, those are scriptural quotations. Is that when we, who we are in the difficult times of life and the, and the challenges, that is truly who we really are. I love the quote, adversity introduces a man to himself. It's almost like you don't have a revelation of who you really are until you really hit the wilderness, until you really see. And that's what the Lord uses. He uses that, that humble state to work on our on our, our weaknesses and our and our imperfections when we receive more of him. 
Like I said, it's important for us to realize that the Father allows us to be tested. He may not be the one doing the testing. And I think this is where we as believers, we get stuck. We see that our lovingly, our loving Father allows us to be tested and we ask, why? why? Why is he testing me so? He may not be the one, he may not be the instrument of testing, but he does allow for the testing to happen. And sometimes he ushers us into that testing. Again, we ask, why? That doesn't sound like my initial experience of my loving Father when I came to the Lord. It's not congruent of my picture of a Savior Jesus rescuing me from difficulties and hardships, bringing aid and relief to my pain. Why would the Father let the Israelites wander the desert for 40 years? Well, let me ask you another series of questions in, in response to those questions. That's, let's be honest, all of us ask. When we're in that hard time, we ask, why, Lord? And all of us experience different hard times. Some of us experience the loss of a loved one. Some of us experience financial difficulties. Some of us experience relational difficulties. It's not that one is more difficult than the other. But in those times, we feel like we're pressed, we're crushed. We almost, we're strained within ourselves to find answers to the reasons why we're going through things. And I think sometimes the natural response is to question. And I think that's a good thing. I don't believe we shouldn't question the Lord. I believe we should, and we should be honest in the questioning to the Lord. But we must also, also be open to what the Father's response is. But let me ask a series of questions that I thought of when, when questioning within myself. The first question is, like I alluded to earlier, as a parent, is your love for your four-year-old son or daughter as strong as as when you were cradling them in your arms when they were just born? What about when your child turns 10, 16, 18, 25, 52? As a parent, do you not love them as deeply or even more so? Of course you do. There's a love for a child that it never, it never goes away or lessens. They may do things you may not like. They may challenge you. You know, you, they may do wonderful, but uh, the love of a, of, a, of a father and a, and a mother to a daughter and a son is unique. And in my opinion, it's very rarely changed, changes. It grows, it strengthens. And, and like I said, from, from, a, from a newborn to any other age, that love never diminishes. Rather, it grows stronger, if anything. Now, let me ask you another question. As a parent, do you teach, discuss, and treat your four-year-old son or daughter the same way you did when they were newly born? What about when they turn 16, 18, 25, 52? Do you relate to them the same way? Do you discuss the same things with them? Do you treat them the same way? Do you teach them even the same thing? No, of course you don't. You, you can't treat even a four-year-old the same way as you treat a newborn baby. I'm beginning to learn that and I'm learning that, enjoying my relationship with my, my own son and daughter. You see, as parents of newborns, you know, this baby lands in your life, whether you're ready or not. And what do you as parents find yourself in a position to do? You're constantly bringing immediate aid and relief to your baby's discomfort. You're feeding them, you're changing their nappies, you're burping them, and you're comforting them. So they would stop crying. And as, to be honest, you, they would stop crying as quickly as possible. Right? But me now, as a parent of a, a five-year-old and a four-year-old, 
I see myself, it's not so much to rescue them from difficulties or challenges as quickly as possible. It slightly changes. Of course, you don't want to, them to go into grievous harm, but you also want them to learn certain things. You want them to be able to, to when they go, when they want to walk across the road, that they themselves realize that this is not safe for me to do so. That when you're not there, when you're not always there, when you drop them off at school and you're, you're not in a position to always be there for them, that they are able to distinguish what is safe and unsafe, what is right and what is wrong. So slowly you see your parenting style change from a rescuing and immediate relief providing relationship to more instructing, guiding, warning, disciplining, and yes, still comforting. You see, a four-year-old, hopefully nappies are no longer needed, and hopefully they can sleep through the night. But you see, they need, they need education, they need training, they need discipline, and yes, of course, like I said, they need comfort. You see, what I realize is the same with our Heavenly Father. As we grow and mature in the Spirit, the way the Father wants to interact with us grows, adapts, and changes over time. He loves us the same. He gave us His own Son. Of course He loves us the same. We should never question whether He loves us. We just need to look at the cross to see how much, how much He loves us. It's more a question of, he loves us so much that He wants us to learn. He wants us to, to learn this Torah way of life that not only He died for, but He came on earth to demonstrate how to do so. And the wilderness is also part of that learning experience. You see, as a parent, you sometimes find yourself holding yourself back, even though it's difficult to see what your child is going through. You have to hold yourself back for their benefit. You intercede for them and you pray for them, but you, you, you can't always be there quickly and rescuing them immediately. Otherwise, will they really understand certain principles? Will they really have a revelation knowledge of it? And your hope as a parent is that they do strengthen through the challenges, that they do succeed, and that they do learn to shoulder the weight on their own. It's like a child crying out to their father, Dad, it's too hard. I can't do it. Please, I need your help. And the father responds, My dear child, I know it's hard, but I know you too. You are well able to overcome. Trust in me. I feel that's the dialogue our Father has with us. It's not that He doesn't want to rescue us, but He wants us to in, allow Himself to come within us and to tap into His strength to overcome the challenges so that we may grow. Like Dad says, we, that's how we strengthen our spirit, man. We grow. You see, I think we're too quick in, in Christianese jargon to proclaim victory over things. We have no problem saying that our Christian walk will will be challenging. We even admit that life is hard. Where Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. I don't think we struggle in understanding that and even saying it as believers. We, we quick in church and ease and, and just to just proclaim victory. But we know when the storm hits, and we know the storm hits both houses. It hits the one built on the sand as well as the one built on the rock. That's when we would truly find out for ourselves, we will be introduced to ourselves, if we really believe that we are overcomers in Christ, if we really believe that we can survive and not just survive, but overcome in his strength. 
Let me give you a quote here. It says, Jesus also told his followers in John 15:20, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Life involves struggles. A life following Jesus might involve, it might invite more struggles. But instead of preventing or promising to relieve you of those struggles, God promised to walk alongside you through them when he said in Hebrews 13:5, Never will I leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. The Lord always promises his presence and his empowering presence in the struggles. We know we as believers should, should, should expect difficulty. I think sometimes in Western church, we, we think that we, we, we interpret that scripture that the Lord has given us life and to have it abundantly. We, we, we interpret that in a material manner, in a physical manner. But you know what? There's no greater abundance than the spirit life that is given us. That no matter what we experience in the physical world, that we have a life that can overcome the challenges. That we can be content no matter where we find ourselves in. That we are, we are abundant in His love and in His grace. That no matter where we find, no matter what the weather is, no matter what state the world is in, no matter who persecutes us, that we are in His joy and in His love and in His grace. Now, I know it's easy to to speak these words, and I'm sure many of you wouldn't disagree with what I'm saying thus far. And it is hard to actually process this when you're in that difficult time, when you just want to hit that escape button, when you're saying, Lord, it's too hard. And you want to just, Lord, get me out. I'm, it's too hard. Where you almost feel that you, you can't breathe anymore and you're drowning. You know, it, it was hard for me to put this down on paper and to share with you today. It isn't something that I can just share and expect everyone to understand. You, like I said, it's in the hardships where we really encounter our strength, when we really see with the biblical truths reside in us or not. And, and I just want to encourage you that even if you do and you feel that you're falling short, that that's okay. That's what the Lord works with. He, he works with us knowing that we're not good enough. But we know that we are good enough with him in us. I like the analogy of seeing Jesus as a mountain hiker and a mountain trail leader. Where he wants to get us to a destination across the valley. But he knows that it's going to be hard. He knows it's going to be full of twists and turns, summits, valleys and perilous paths. But he says, if you stick with me, we'll get there together. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you in the hard in the hard slog. And for me that that's that's a great metaphor of seeing the father. He's he's our a hiking leader and he doesn't promise that life's gonna be easy. He never did, but he promises that he'll be with us no matter what the weather is, no matter if we're stuck on a summit and it's snowing and we feel that we're not gonna survive the night, or when we, we're victorious and we've climbed and we survived, the Lord is always with us. But we also need to acknowledge that not only is he with us but sometimes he leads us to the most challenging parts of that hiking trail. He ushers us into those moments. The true question we should ask ourselves is, do we trust him? Do we trust him in that journey? Do we trust him when he says, this is the path that we're going to walk and it's going to be a difficult, perilous path? For me, I was reminded of one apostle, Paul, a man who was intimate with pain and hardship. 
I know all of us know Paul and we know, but I'm just going to summarize from Scripture. He summarizes his hardship and his difficulties. That's found in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24 to 30. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 30. For impact, I like reading the Passion Translation because most of us are not familiar with it. Let me read it to you. This is Paul talking about his difficulties that he's experienced when writing this letter to the, the Corinthians. Five times I've received 39 lashes from Jewish leaders. Three times I experienced being beaten with rods. Once they stoned me. Three times I've been shipwrecked. For an entire night and day, I was adrift in the open sea. In my difficult travels, I faced many dangerous situations, perilous rivers, robbers, foreigners, and even my own people. I've survived deadly peril in the city, in the wilderness, with storms at sea, with spies posing as believers. I've toiled to the point of exhaustion and gone through many sleepless nights. I've frequently been deprived of food and water, left hungry and shivering out in the cold, lacking proper clothing. And this is the turning point. This is the pivot. And besides these painful circumstances, I have the daily pressure of my responsibility for all the churches, with a deep concern weighing heavily on my heart for their welfare. I am not aloof, for who is desperate and weak, and I do not feel their weakness, who is led astray into sin, and I do not burn with the zeal to restore him. If boasting is necessary, he says, I will boast about my examples of my weakness. Let me read that last part again. If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my examples of my weakness. In the context of this letter, Paul is comparing himself to the Corinthians church are presenting him these so-called super apostles. These people that look like they've got everything together. They speak elo eloquently. They, they are attractive in the gospel. And compared to Paul, who's, who's living a difficult life. And he's struggling. These guys look like they got it all together. And Paul's saying, well, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in all the difficulties that I've done. And for me, this is links to a perfect scripture that I was reminded of. And this is, if there's one verse, one passage of scripture that you go away with from this message today, it is this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. This is the key. And please turn in your own Bibles if you have. An electronic version. Turn to the Passion Translation again. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7 to 10. The extraordinary level. Of the revelations I've received. Is no reason for anyone to exalt me. For this is why a thorn in my flesh was given to me. The adversary messenger sent to harass me. Keeping me from becoming arrogant. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this, but he answered me, My grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weakness, weaknesses, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living within me. So I am not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endured mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side, and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger, for my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. 
for me, that just sums up everything that I'm sharing with you today. That's where it all started for me is when I read that passage of scripture. I was reminded by a, a song I've been enjoying and, and listening to recently, if you can enjoy a worship song, where they state that my weakness is a canvas for your strength, Lord. That my weakness is a canvas for your strength. So please allow me to, to get, dive deeper into this passage, breaking it down and drawing out its richness as we, as we conclude this message today. You see, a lot of us read that passage and we understand it and rec recognize it as the thorn in the flesh. And we fixate on the thorn. But you know what? This passage is actually not about what the thorn was. Never does Paul tell us what the thorn is. So many com Bible commentators and historians are so fixated on discovering what this thorn is. But you know what? That wasn't Paul's focus. What's more important as we approach this passage of Scripture is the father's response to the thorn and therefore Paul's response to the thorn in his life. Let's discuss what we do know what the thorn represents and what the thorn was. Firstly, we know that the thorn was given. Paul himself says, there was given to me a thorn. Now think of that word given. He doesn't say, I suffered persecution, I suffered a thorn. He, he uses the word given. A quote from Spurgeon says, he reckoned his great trial to be a gift. He says, it is well put. He does not say there was inflicted upon me a thorn in the flesh, but there was given to me. See, this, from the outset of reading this passage, we need to be, we need to understand the mindset that Paul approaches this in. He, he sees it as a gift. Now, again, without question, we should know the source of this thorn is the adversary. It is the enemy. It is Satan. Well, that's a shadow of a doubt. All evil things from this world and all lack comes from the enemy that is not a question paul does not say it comes from any other way he, the definitive fact he gives us is the thorn source is the adversary but still he treats it as a gift the next thing we know about the thorn is that it was painful you know a lot of us think thorn and especially in this african context we think of this little tiny thing that we step on or our kids step on and they come running to us and it's stuck there. But you know what? There's a, the Greek translation in the Old Testament for thorn is scallops. And sometimes it is translated as something a bit bigger than a, a thumb stack. It's referred to as a, a tent stake, a, a large splinter that is stuck into us. Something that frustrates and causes troubles in the lives of those who are afflicted. Now, I know when my little kids get a small little splinter in their foot or their or their, in their hand, how long they moan until we get that out. Now imagine, even if it's that small, imagine any larger than that. Can you imagine being unable to remove this thorn in, this, in the flesh and how much pain it causes, how much frustration and trouble it causes those who are afflicted by it? And we know this because Paul himself says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord. You know, Paul said to the Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And Paul himself does the very thing he tells his Philippian church to do. He, he pleads with the Father to remove the thorn. 
So he follows the right course of behavior when he's encountered a very difficult situation, a thorn. So we know, understanding that it was painful. The next thing we know, that it was persistent. It says, I pleaded with the Lord three times. So therefore, we know it was not, it wasn't, it didn't get removed immediately. And it was a prolonged period of time. And therefore, we know he was pleading three times. Some say, I'm not saying this is gospel, but some historian, his, historians and, and Bible commentators say this is a, a Hebrew figure of speech. That when they say three times, they mean it was a figure of speech for ceaselessly, continuously, over and over again. So we can say Paul pleaded continuously with the Lord that this thorn be removed from him. The next thing we know is the thorn was humbling. Paul himself refers to it as keeping me from becoming arrogant. And this is where we see Paul's mindset in response to the midst of this testing, this trial, and this, we, and this wilderness. He sees the thorn as something that is, humbles him and doesn't allow him to grow selfish in pride. Now we remember that our father resists the proud but what does he give to the humble? He gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. And here we see Paul demonstrating humility in this trial. And, we, and the very next thing we see the Lord giving him and the Lord answering him is grace. My grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full expression in your weakness. You see, God did have a response for Paul. The answer may not be what Paul was initially hoping for or expecting, but God did have a response. You know, I think sometimes we realize that when we go to the Lord in prayer that we know what the Lord's answer is and his response to us. But we often we close our ears to God if he responds in a way that is not the way we were hoping for or expecting. We want that immediate relief. We want the Lord to rescue us like we were little children. But the Lord says, I've given you my grace and it's more than enough. And my power finds its full expression through your weakness. In conclusion, I'm just going to give you the, the Greek and the Hebrew definitions of grace. I know a lot of us, especially if we, we know the word of God, we, we say grace is defined as unmerited favor. But I, I want to take you deeper than that. The Hebrew word for grace is, is comes from the word hanan which means to stoop or to bend in kindness to another. So you're in a position where you're able to help someone else and you stoop down in kindness to help them. In Greek, the translation that Paul uses here is charis. He says the idea of graciousness in a manner or action, stooping down to us in his kindness to reach us in, in our need and to convey upon us a benefit. You see, sometimes we just see grace as an attitude that the Lord is gracious towards us. But it's far more than that. It's an extension of his kindness translated into action that releases his enabling power into our lives. We have to see grace not as just an attitude, a merciful attitude the Lord has towards us, but we have to see it as an empowering force, something that he puts within us to enable us to overcome what we in there, what we're in. You see, this is the way of the upside down kingdom that Jesus preached. It's when we are weak, 
he shows himself strong within us. When we acknowledge our weaknesses in certain area, it is there and then when God shows himself strong. That's why, and that's the only way that the Lord can get the glory and the honor. Paul says, I am not defeated by weakness. I am delighted. And for me, the, the whole, where he ends the whole verse that we studied now is the, the powerful part. For my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. You see, Paul looked beyond the weakness and the pain to the glorious fruit that God was bringing into his life. For it forced him to stay close to God that he might experience his strength. Paul changed his attitude towards the thorn and he saw it as a gift instead of a curse. He treated it as a blessing. Why? Because it pressed him deeper into relationship and reliance of God. Dad spoke today in the, in the local church and he said he wishes sometimes that the church does suffer some persecution because then we will know where our faith is and we will be pushed deeper into relationship with him. And you know, that's true. We can see that in, in the world today where there's a greater persecution towards the Christian faith is greater growth and thriving. You see, affliction is oftentimes the greatest for our spiritual growth. It is in the storms that our roots are forced to go deep. Affliction develops a depth of relationship that nothing else can. Without it, we stagnate and we come, become apathetic. So I hope today this message does encourage you that no matter what you find yourself in, no matter what hardships, like I said, we all, we, life is a series of waves. Sometimes there's placid and calm and we're at the shores and we're enjoying the water, lap our, our feet and we're enjoying the sunset. But sometimes we're in the midst of a storm and we, we feel like we can't get, in, get enough breath in our lungs and we just feel like we're drowning. No one's life is completely placid throughout. We're all going to face the storms of life. But I just hope that this message encourages that encourages you that you anchor your faith in God and that you do question and you do have a discussion with him. And just like Paul did, you see, this is an apostle and he's having a wrestling with, with the Lord, but he comes out changed, renewed and directed in a way that he sees this trials as a gift to strengthen his relationship and his empowerment, empowering relationship with the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.